This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I'd like to wish everyone a good morning. It's good to be here. Appreciate the song leaders and the songs that they have chosen to help prepare our minds to open up the sacred word of God. Thank you so much for the prayer field, everybody's participation. This morning we're going to be talking about dealing with doubt. That is our title. To kind of introduce our thoughts this morning, I want to tell you about one of the most influential men that has ever lived. This man did not have wealth. He did not have power. He did not have great possessions. This man lived in the wilderness. His diet consisted of locusts and honey. His clothing consisted of camel's hair, camel skins. And he had one purpose in life. And that purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. His name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was prophesied because he was vital to the Lord Jesus Christ's mission. It was vital that he would come and began to preach with great power. His message was, Repent ye therefore, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Thousands of people, when they began to hear about John the Baptist's teachings, they would travel to the wilderness to just to, to hear this man. Because no man ever spoke like this one. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they spoke differently. This man had something special. Thousands of people's hearts were pricked by the truth of John the Baptist and they were baptized. What I love about John the Baptist is that he did not change his message for anyone. For the first time ever, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that had corrupted God's Word were finally spoken the truth. Their outside looked almost perfect. Just as we try to do sometimes. We don't want anyone to see our faults. No one can see these men's faults because their outside looked like perfection. But John was able to see their hearts and their hearts were dark and they were, and they were it was black. And they were corrupted. And John spoke the truth to those men. He called them serpents and vipers. These men were It was John that would stand in front of one of the most powerful men that lived during this time. 
His name was Herod. You see, Herod had the power to control John's destiny. He had the power of life and of death. But what I love about John again is that he spoke with boldness and courage. He said, Herod, you're living in sin. He said, you have married your brother's wife and you know that is wrong. You see, men of power, they didn't like to hear truth. They didn't like to hear their sins exposed because that would be embarrassing. Herod wanted to kill this man for what he said to him. But you see, John had so much popularity, if he were to kill him, there would be riots. And he didn't want that. And so as the smooth politician that he was, he just locked him up. He silenced him by putting him in the very depths of prison. So he would spend six months to a year and a half in this prison cell. We kind of know the rest of the story. Remember that Herod's wife, her name was Herodias. She was a very vile woman, very evil. And so she made Herod make an oath to her daughter. And that oath was that John the Baptist's head would be delivered to her on that's exactly what happened. The reason why I kind of introduce our thoughts on doubt this morning by talking about John the Baptist is because I want to go to a time when he was sitting on the dirt or on the cold stone floor of this prison. John the Baptist, you see, he suffered with doubt. Let's read a little bit about that. Luke 7, verses 19 through 20. And John calling unto him two of his disciples, he sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Does that shock you a little bit? That John the Baptist, the one that was prophesied of his coming, that he would have doubt of Jesus Christ, his very own cousin? It shocks me a little bit. I'm sure it shocks all of us. Why is that? This is what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist in Matthew 11 and 11. Truly I say unto you, that among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Did we just hear that? That is a compliment. Can you imagine? The earth is 4,000 years old and there have been great men like Abraham. Men like Noah. David. 
Think about all the, the prophets and the kings and the judges, the great women of faith. None of them compared to John the Baptist. That's a compliment. But yet, he doubted. Think about when Jesus Christ would come down the banks as John was baptizing in the river of Jordan. And he said those sweet words, Behold, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, he didn't doubt that day. He knew exactly who the Messiah was. He knew exactly Jesus the Son of God, that He was the spotless Lamb that will take away the sins of the world. There was no doubt that day. John the Baptist would then proceed to baptize Him in the river of Jordan. Do we remember what happened? Something spectacular happened as He was baptizing Jesus Christ. What they all saw that day, not only John, but all that were there, the multitudes, they saw the skies, the heavens opened. As Jesus was coming out of the waters of baptism, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit, like that of a dove, came and landed on Jesus Christ. You see, John did not doubt Jesus was the Messiah at that very moment, did he? Not only that, but he got to hear the voice of God. I've always wondered what God would sound like. Would he have like a cool British accent? Would he sound like James Earl Jones, which is you young people's dark favorite? Would he sound like that? Would his voice sound like thunder when he spoke? I don't know. I can't wait to know. But John the Baptist got to know what the voice of God sounded like that day. Because he heard, say, he heard God say, This is my beloved Son, of whom I am well pleased. You see, he didn't doubt that then, did he? So, yeah, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? That John the Baptist would doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, he's not the only one that doubted. I'm not just here to pick on John the Baptist. I think about the apostles in Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Now this is after Jesus had died. This was after Jesus had resurrected. He was just about to transcend, transcend into heaven. And he says the words, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted even after all that they had seen even after three years of traveling with him seeing his miracles seeing the lame healed those that were blind have sight they still doubted think about men like Abraham he was a man of great faith he's mentioned in Hebrews 11 being willing to take the life of his very own son but when God came to him and said, hey, your wife, Sarai, she's going to be called a different name from now on. She's going to be called Sarah because I'm going to bless her 
And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall be a mother of all nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? You see, he doubted. Can't mention doubt without talking about Thomas. Remember after the resurrection, he said, unless I can stick my finger in the nails in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Oh, there were lots of men and women who doubted. Remember David, when Saul was hunting him like a dog, he just wanted to give up. He said, God, just let him take my life. Think about Zechariah. He, he was the father of John the Baptist. Remember when God came to him and said, you're going to have a son? He's like, say what? Think about Gideon. He's like, hey, I'm going to have you deliver my children away from this evil, idolatrous nation. He's like, well, I'm going to have to have some proof. Remember how he laid the fleece out there? Moses, and Barak, and King Saul, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Job, Jonas, Peter, Elijah, they all had doubt. And I mention these men to us this morning because how dare we, as God's children, as God's elect, as God's saints, think that we are above doubting? We are not. We are not. So we need to be mindful of this in our lives. So we've got to think about faith. Faith is the opposite of doubt. What is faith to us? The scriptures say it's our foundation. Wouldn't that make sense that Jesus would want, or excuse me, Satan would want to attack our foundation? Because that's what we build everything upon, right? If he can crack that foundation, cause that foundation to crumble, then everything that we build upon crumbles with it. So yes, he works through a lot of different things to cause doubt in our lives. You know, we mentioned a lot of different people. You know, why did Abraham doubt? Because his wife was 90 years old. <laughs> she was past the age of bearing children. That was the circumstance that they were in. They had tried for decades to have children and could not do it. And that was a reason for his doubt. Saul was being, or excuse me, King David was being hunted like a dog. He was tired. He was tired. I think about Elijah. She was, he was being haunted by the wicked Jezebel. That caused him to doubt. So what I'm trying to get at is that I want to talk about some circumstances that we can find ourselves in. Because what happens is even though these circumstances are designed to cause growth in our lives by God, Satan likes to use these circumstances to create doubt. And I just feel like we need to be mindful of them. So I want to talk about four circumstances that we can find ourselves in that allow doubt to come in 
if we are not being mindful of what is going on around us. The first one I want to talk about, some of the reasons that we doubt, is because of good old-fashioned tribulation. Sufferings. Tribulation means to be pressed upon. It means to be crushed. To be trampled. It's very difficult. Think about the grapes. You know how they used to stand on those grapes and crush them and to try to draw out all the good juices? That's what this tribulation means. When we suffer, we don't like it, do we? Yet that's a perfect time. And Satan likes to come in and place doubt in our lives. Again, just getting back to John the Baptist. He wasn't doubting God or doubting that Jesus was the Messiah when he heard the voice of God, was he? It was when he was spending his last days in prison. And that's when doubt began to creep in. Think about our lives. Are you suffering right now? Have you suffered? We begin to ask ourselves, why me, God? Where are you, God? Why are you letting this happen to me, God? Satan uses those experiences to create doubt. Cause us to Let us remember. Let us remember a little bit of truth about tribulation. Romans 5 and 3 through 5, it says, More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. This is Paul. He was a great example. Never did he doubt because of suffering. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Spirit which He has been given to us. Rejoice in our suffering. The King James says, glory in our tribulation." Paul says to thank God, to get on our knees and thank God that we are suffering. But we don't really want to do that, do we? It takes a little bit of faith to be able to thank God. But how can we make it to heaven without hope? We cannot. The Scripture tells us that. That without hope, we cannot enter into heaven. It is a vital part of our Christianity. But in order to have hope, we have to have endurance. Before we can have endurance, there has to be suffering in our life. You see, God gives us suffering as a gift because it's going to make us ready to enter into the pearly gates of heaven with Him. We need suffering. We need suffering. Thank God for it. And don't let Satan deceive you and saying, oh, God just doesn't love you. Where's God now? He's done that thousands of times. Caused a lot of people to suffer a lot of doubt and unbelief. 
Let's remember that through tribulation, we receive the blessings of God. But let's also remember that's when Satan is going to question, cause us to question our God and his ways. The second thing we want to talk about is pessimism. I love this quote from Winston Churchill. It says, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. I want us to remember that we can adopt a mindset, the mindset of negativity, pessimism, and it is a cancer to our soul. Remember that pessimism, negativity is a cancer to our soul. It is toxic. And none of us are immune to it. When we find ourselves negative, we have got to quench that as quickly as possible. When I think about negativity, I think about when God's people were just about to enter into the promised land. Oh, they had traveled a distance. And finally, they were there. But, they, but before they entered, it was commanded that one leader from every 12 tribes go in and check out this land. And look and see if it's a fertile land. To see what kind of people dwell in this land. To see how they were armed. To see if the cities were walled. Remember, there were 12, 12 men that went in there. They all saw the very same thing. They all had different reports. One of their reports was all the same. That was, yes, this is truly a good lake. It truly flows with milk and honey. In fact, it took two men to carry a cluster of grapes. The ten of them, you see, were plagued with negativity. They were pessimistic. And those ten men caused a whole generation to perish. Because guess what? Negativity is contagious. It is contagious. Fathers, our negativity will plague our children and our spouse. Mothers, our negativity, yes, our, our, our children will catch that. They will become the same. We have to be very, very mindful. Because this is where doubt comes in. When we're just thinking, oh, what's the point? Life is too difficult. Life is too hard. I just can't live this Christian life. God hates me. Nothing ever goes right for me. Everybody else's life is good except for mine. My job's the hardest. My life is the most difficult. Satan loves that kind of mindset. He's going to come in and create doubt. See, the opposite of negativity is hope. We talked about that earlier. Without hope, we cannot enter into that. Hope is a beautiful thing. Our life does not consist of this little world that we're in. It's going to burn up. Our life consists of our eternity 
be here with God or with Satan. Do you hear that? You have a soul inside of you. To be able to be with Satan for all eternity in a lake of fire. Or to be with God. That's your choice. No one can make that choice but you. We've got to have hope. Got to quench negativity. The third reason that we sometimes doubt is because we live in isolation. Let's think about John the Baptist. I want to keep going back to him. He was in this prison cell again. Scholars say six months to a year and a half. All by his lonesome. I think that had a lot to do with his doubt. He did not have his brothers and his sisters to encourage him. He was all by himself. He knew his fate. Think about Thomas. Where was Thomas at when Jesus returned after his resurrection? He was all by himself, wasn't he? Maybe that was a reason for his doubt. Think about Elijah. We talked about him earlier as a doubter. When did he want to just give it all up? When he was all by himself. God created Adam. If you looked at his creation, it was perfect. Perfect. There was one thing missing. That was companionship. He needed to help me. So he created Eve. There's no, you see, there wasn't an accident when Jesus called his church a body. Because we were made up of many members. We have hands. Hands at work. We have feet that help us walk and move and travel. We have eyes that help us to see, have vision. Ears that help us to stay in tune what's going on around us. All of these are bodies. Without one of these, we were handicapped. That's why Paul said, Do not forsake yourselves to the assembly of one another. You've got to have each other, or you will fail. When we think that we're the only ones that are suffering, woe to me, I'm the only one that's going through a difficult time. No one else could understand what I'm going through, except for me. That's when doubt comes in. You don't think you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, how you will. Because without them, you will not get into heaven. We are not made to be on the island. We need each other. Fourth reason, reasons we doubt. Unmet expectations due to a limited perception. I love these quotes. Expectation is the root of all heartache. Perception is not reality. It is just our tiny experience, which is limited and flawed. Truth is the only reality. Again, getting back to John the Baptist. 
You see, the Jewish people, they had expectations on what the Messiah would look like, how he would come and rule. They thought he was going to come with a sword and with an iron fist and set up an earthly kingdom. Dominant. They were excited about it. That's why Peter cut off the ear of Malachus. He's like, let's fight. It's about to get real. They wanted to be physical warriors. No, Jesus said, no, no, you're going to be spiritual warriors. Spiritual warriors. So their expectations were different. You see, John said in that prison cell, and his, he had a limited perception of what Jesus was working, what he was doing. He had a limited perception, as each one of us do. See, John, when he sat there in prison, he didn't realize that Jesus was about to do great things. He didn't realize that the church was going to catch on like a wildfire and take over the whole world. He He couldn't see all that. All he could see was that he was in a prison cell. Think about Job. He suffered a little bit from this. His perception was small at first. When he lost his health, had leprosy, when he lost his wealth, he had nothing, he lost his children, he had limited perception, didn't he? But at the end of his life, when his wealth doubled, when he had all his children again, and, and his health back, then he saw a bigger picture. Did he? God had to kind of teach him that. He's like, listen, you can't begin to understand how I'm orchestrating things all around you so that you'll be fit for the kingdom of God. Think about Joseph. Man, he had, if he had expectations, they were soon forgotten about. His brother sold him as a slave. He got to spend a lot of his life in prison for something he didn't do. He was distant from his family. But what God was doing, it was preparing him. Giving him the knowledge, giving him the experiences, the tools to save millions. Joseph saved millions of because of what he went through. And we cannot know that because we have limited perception. We are not God. We cannot begin to know what He is doing in our lives. And so for us to have doubt in God or to think that we are at His level and be upset at Him is very, very arrogant of us. We as God's people in America, we have expectations of it. I don't know, maybe we think we're just better than everybody else. Maybe we're just full brats. I don't know. But I know what I experience in my own mind. I think because I'm a child of God that I'm going to have abundance. I'm a child of God. Did he promise that to us? Absolutely not. I think because I'm a child of God, that I'm going to have a long life of hell. Be able to see my 
children grow up and see my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's what I expect. Is that promise to us? No. I think it's because that I'm a child of God, trying to do what's right, that all my children are going to be faithful. I don't know. I think that I can go to church and that all the people there are going to be perfect and there won't be any problems. God didn't promise that. See, we have expectations. Because our perception is very very small. But these are just ways that Satan likes to use. Circumstances that he likes to use to come in calls down in our lives. So I just want us to be mindful. We can't talk about doubt without talking about how to quench it. How can I increase my faith? Again, going back to the John. How did Jesus respond to John? I would have been a little upset. (laughs) But Jesus, He has deep compassion for us in our lives, even in our doubt. And He had the same for John. It was like John was praying to Jesus as His intercessor. I saying, hey, I'm struggling here. Are you the one or should I look for another? Like, I'm struggling. Help me. And Jesus, in His ultimate compassion, does just that. How does He help John? He talks about prophecies that John would know backwards and forwards. That John had memorized in his mind. Prophecies about the Messiah. And those same prophecies that he mentioned to John, he fulfilled so that these two disciples could be eyewitnesses of him fulfilling these prophecies so that they could go back and quote God's word and say, hey, we saw it with our own eyes. So how did he help John the Baptist? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? We confess that, haven't we? I think about Him being the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I think about Him, Jesus, being beside God when He fashioned this world, when He created the mountains and streams and universes. Jesus was with Him. Then He came to earth as a man. I say all that for this one reason. The Scriptures tells us about two different circumstances where Jesus marveled. Say, what? (laughs) Jesus marveled. Yes, the Creator of you marveled while He was here on this earth. I'm like, what could cause Him to marvel? What could shock Jesus? There were two different circumstances. The first one being 
people's grapes probably were shocked by that. But the second was a little bit more joyous occasion. The second time the scriptures say that he marveled was by a Gentile, by a dirty old Roman soldier. He was a centurion. The centurion, he goes to Jesus Christ. He says, listen, Jesus, I believe that you can heal a servant of mine. He has palsy. He has palsy. So Jesus said, well, okay, let me travel with you. We'll go to your home. Let me check him out. The centurion says, oh, no, no, no. I'm a Gentile. You can't come to my house. I'm filthy. I'm unclean. He said, I, I'm a ruler of something. When I tell one of my men to go do something, just by my words, they will do it. He said, I believe that all you have to do is say the word. And my servant will be healed. Jesus marveled at his name's faith because he understood power of the words of God. We have within our hands a book that is alive. It is alive this very moment. It has the power to transform the worst devil into a saint. I don't care how far you think you are from God. I don't care what you have done in your life. You can be cleansed by the word of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are struggling with doubt. The answer is the word of God. And we have faith in this dirty old centurion. God's children, this has the power make us strong. Make us undefeatable. To make us unmovable. Always abounding for the Until we see Jesus coming in the air. Saying, well done, my Lord, my Jesus. This morning, if you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, why John devoted his whole life his whole life for just six months just six months 30 years he invested into a ministry that would only last six months why did he do it? because he was preparing the way of Jesus Christ it was through his blood that you and I just filthy wretched miserable sinners could have hope of everlasting life God knows the dirt that you have that you have wandered in. He knows every sin that you have committed. He knows that He can cleanse us through God's grace. He can cleanse that through His Son's blood. Why would you not run upon that? Why would you tear it? Rise and wash. Wash away the sins. 
any of our struggles with that. As we talked about this morning, none of us are immune. None of us are immune. Satan can come in like the sleek serpent that he is and trick us to doubt in God, his existence, his ways, which are perfect. Do you struggle with that doubt? Come and get the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ that love you with all their heart, soul, and mind. Come now, Mr. Anderson. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.